0: We are all miracles and must make the most of our limited time here each of us have these unique gifts to contribute to the world and it's our job to develop these gifts and give them away that's why i created the preschool slp podcast the preschool slp is about working smarter to create real change in ourselves and in others Being an SLP is a mission. It's about showing up every single day. It's about giving all of yourself. It's about evaluating your work. It's about innovating practice to change lives. Every single week, let's discuss topics that matter. What are the game-changing strategies? How can we treat the whole child? How can we create the truest and shiniest versions of ourselves? and of our clients we're here at the drawing board for a reason you bring your own unique gifts together let's create better
1: episode because we're going to talk about the most important goal of all. It is developing an internal locus of control. So when it comes to developing an internal locus of control, that means the child knows that the child is the teacher. The child is in charge of their learning and the child is in charge of whether they're successful or whether they're not successful. So when we look at the longitudinal research, the research in children from age five years of age to age 35 years of age, what we know is is that the children with communication impairments are more likely to have an external locus of control in which they feel like they do not have any control over whether or not they fail or whether or not they succeed. And these are the children that are going to end up in the correctional facilities. This is such an important topic. The latest research we have available from March 2022, this year, it has found that across 18 studies of juvenile offenders, juvenile offenders, half of these children that are juvenile offenders have a moderate language impairment. And it goes on, 10% of these children that are in these juvenile uh, correctional facilities that are juvenile offenders, criminal offenders, have a severe language impairment. So these are the children that we are working with today. And we need to be proactive. And we need to worry less about whether or not there, there's a grammatical morpheme error. And we need to worry about what is going to change their lives. What is going to keep them out of the correctional institutions and into the workforce? What is going to keep them in school through college age? The good news is that because of longitudinal research, we know what works. And what works is these social, emotional, literacy programs that teach the children that you are in charge of whether or not you are successful or not. So I am so excited about today's episode because we have a master of metacognitive strategies, which we're gonna talk about in a little bit. Metacognitive strategies in which the child takes on the role of teacher and the child self evaluates their performance. They are in charge of the learning. This is what we want to teach. This is what we wanna focus on. This is what's going to change lives. So this is, I would say, the most important episode so far. And who we have as a guest, the master of metacognitive strategies is Denise Stratton. So a little bit about Denise Stratton. She has over 30 years of experience as a pediatric speech language pathologist. She has worked across all settings, clinical, school settings, private. And she has also has a podcast, the speech umbrella podcast. So it's so great to have her here, which she is really, really great at. She's great at a lot of things, but is that metacognitive strategies in which we're going to talk about today, especially at the elementary age, when children have that skill steps, Uh, set, to think in a metacognitive way, to self-monitor, to self-evaluate, to learn the process and apply the process on their own. These are children above the age of five typically that are ready to take the responsibility of the speech and language therapy on their shoulders and be their own speech language pathologist. So it is so exciting to have Denise Stratton here today because she has some amazing tips on what you can do with children at the elementary age in particular, so that they take on the role of teacher and that it's then they have an internal locus of control, which I would say is the most important goal for any and every child on your caseload, not even having met the children on your caseload, I would say that's easy. I can tell you what the most important goal is, that they all have an internal locus of control. Because we know across disciplines that those with an internal locus of control that believe they can and so they can, those are the ones who will be successful. It's that easy. It doesn't matter who you are. Or where you come from. If you believe in yourself, you will succeed. If you believe that your efforts can trump all of the obstacles ahead of you, you will be successful. So the children that we work with, they do not have a yellow brick road ahead of them. They have a mountain. So how are they going to climb that mountain? They better believe in themselves. So we are gonna talk to Denise about four different metacognitive strategies, four different areas that we can use in speech therapy. Number one, we're gonna look at metacognitive strategies in treating speech sound disorders. Number two, we're going to look at metacognitive strategies in treating language impairments. Number three, we're going to look at metacognitive strategies in narrative and storytelling skills. And lastly, we're going to look at metacognitive strategies in improving executive function. So this is a super important episode. And she has super creative, super wonderful ideas. So I say, open your Google Doc right now get typing because we're going to get started. Okay, Denise, I'm so happy that you are here. Let's get right into it. What are some of the strategies that you recommend for speech pathologists or even parents or paraprofessionals working with children with speech sound disorders, metacognitive strategies, particularly at elementary age that you use with children to help them self-evaluate self-monitor, and teach themselves when it comes to speech and treating speech?
2: Well, it really comes down to a pencil and a post-it note. <laughs> but first of all, what I want to say is is the mountain they have to climb. My tagline on my podcast is, when you master the simple, the complex takes care of itself. So if you can master some simple metacognitive strategies, you're so much further down the road. I just, um, I just recorded a podcast that's not out yet about generalization with R. I've wrote a, I've written a program on our R therapy and got some feedback that um it didn't go far enough. It didn't take therapists to generalization. There wasn't enough at the storytelling level, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That that's all metacognitive. You know, if they can metorically say it at a sentence level, they can connect it. They you gotta look then what are they doing metacognitively they're not even aware or phonemic awareness. It's one of those two things. So it's the basics are super, super important and metacognition is right there. So- I love what
1: you're saying just to kind of interject there because it's not like you're going to have a speech pathologist with you at your side everywhere you go and saying, now we're going to have conversations, ask for the reasons. Okay, now uh, I I- talk about the reasons. And yeah,
2: it's, it has to be internal. Mm -hmm. And I get a lot of junior high R clients referred to me because they haven't mastered it in conversation. I tell you, it's either a tiny motor thing or it's metacognitive or some phonemic awareness or all three together. But um, this idea came to me as I was working with a teenager still working on R. (laughs) And she wasn't really good at monitoring herself. So we were doing this poem by Shel Silverstein, um, invitation, if you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic being by R. Anyway, it's a great R poem. But she couldn't get past the second line. First line was okay, one R, if you are a dreamer, come in. And then she would just miss. She would miss dreamer or she would miss wisher or she would miss liar. Not all the same one. And so I thought, what am I going to do? I gave her a post-it note. I gave her a pencil. And I said, I want you to make a tally mark every time you say an R at the same moment you're saying it. And what was so interesting is she could not do that at first. She would say the whole line, then try and make the tally mark or she'd make the tally marks ahead of herself, but not in the moment, not at the same time. So she wasn't really aware. And once I got her to the point, and you would not believe this took like two sessions, a teenager, once yeah. I got her to the point where she could make a tally mark at the same moment she said R, um, then she got it. And then she got the whole poem um oh. metacognitive right it was just uh, being aware in the moment and since then i've used this with several other clients that so awesome. it's so easy and it works because she had the motor skill to do yeah. it she just didn't have the um ability to think of it in the moment
1: yeah and by her moving her body and and, and mm-hmm. making that mark as well really brings that imprint more active learning. And you think about how we normally do RN therapy, say this word a hundred times, and who's doing the clicking? You have a speech therapist doing the clicking and the counting, and it's just mindless. It's, and then here's your token. So it's very external. And you made her the teacher. She's mm-hmm. doing the tallying, she's the speech therapist. And she's, I like that she's using her body and having to write it and take notes.
2: And I mean, by the way, they don't they don't miss the R, yeah. When they're doing it, because you know I've brought them far enough along that they could say it, yeah. So as they're making the tally marks, as long as they make the tally mark at the time they say it, then they're one hundred percent. Then is because that's what they need. It's it's not a question of can you say this or not. So that is
1: yeah, and that is a good point because if this was a child that couldn't say the R, you're not going to be doing this. You're yeah, gonna they can't get all, that final yeah, yeah, which is tricky. <laughs> You're going to use all of their attention, all of their capacity on the R. But at okay. this point, th- th- she needed to self-monitor, and you made her the speech therapist, essentially. And she's taking tally of the R and how many times she says the R, and where is it coming, and paying attention to that. That is an awesome strategy. Okay, now let's move on to language. What are you thinking, what is a great metacognitive strategy speech-language pathologists can use to help the client be the teacher and take on that role as of self-monitoring, self-evaluating and knowing the process.
2: So let's talk about complex language development right here. Um, so conjunctions are super, super important <laughs> um, because they bring the complexity into it. They help you tell the story. Um, and I have so many kids who, will. I bring out my conjunction bingo sheet <laughs> which it's it just kind of looks like this. It's on my website, but it has then, because, but, when, although, so, after a while. Not all the conjunctions, but ones I like to use. <clears throat> I'll watch a short video. <clears throat> Sorry. And then I was having them use a conjunction to tell me something, and some kids were just, just failing. I was like, okay, I've got to back up. They don't know which conjunction to use when. So I created another little sheet. <laughs>
1: but you can't see
2: it right here but we can link to it. So, I took these eight conjunctions I put some of them under time. I say we use these when you're talking about time, then when after a while. Why? If you have to explain why something happened, you can use because or so. If something unexpected happened, you can use but or although. And then I got on my Tinker Toys. This is what this is what I love. Okay. So, you only need four pieces that connect. You know, you could be creative, use Legos or whatever, but these two sticks are the two clauses. This is your conjunction. If your conjunction comes first, you're going to have to connect them with this little tube. Like sometimes you might put a comma in. Mm-hmm. And so before they start making a sentence, um, I'll say, let's um, let's talk about Harry Potter or something we both know. Um, okay, let's, what's something unexpected that happened in Harry Potter, and we'll talk it through. Okay, well, we didn't expect um, Snape to be the good guy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, you might use the word um, Snape seemed evil, but mm-hmm. there you go. But mm-hmm. he was protecting Harry, I love just it. like that. And Hello. then although's the hardest, and we talk about oh, you're just switching the words around. Although Snape seemed, oh, sorry, <laughs> here we go. Yeah. Although here's your conjunction. Although Snape seemed evil, now. You gotta put that connecting piece in. Uh. Um, he was actually protecting Harry in the Quidditch match or whatever. And you can just, um, and if you know they haven't read a lot of books or don't remember a movie, which is not uncommon, <laughs> um, pull up a short video, like a Simon's cat video that you can watch in three minutes and then you can do this activity. But it helps the kids who are trying, they'll go after when, yeah. or something like that. Or they'll just do, they'll connect so many clauses run on sentences. It's just out of control. They're off in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so I'm really from Two clauses. Yeah. We're only talking about two things and you only get one conjunction. Nice. <laughs> and we go from there because otherwise they just, um, you, they just start putting all these words. I don't even know how to use them uh, and yeah. throwing them in because I got this minko sheet in front of them. Okay. I think I'll use that one.
1: I love that. And I love that what you're focusing on are those tier two vocabulary words like this first, then, because, while, although it's going to help you in every single course that you take academically, it's going to help you tell a story, it's going to help you in the workplace, this will change your life. And that's what I'm going to focus on. And I liked it, we we don't see it, but in the Tinker Toys that she uses, Tinker Toys are like, the circles are the conjunctions. So you can change direction. So you can be making a statement. So and so was a nice guy. However, or but whoa, it goes back. It, or you can have them go straight if it's a continuation by saying uh, furthermore, and you keep going. The Tinker Toy. <laughs> You're talking about Tinker Toys. You don't see it. You can keep going straight with saying this is a continuing thought. It doesn't. By change. the way,
2: I I do have a Simple Tools video. And this I- on my website. So people can go to it. They can watch me do it. Parents can go to it because parents can do this. Mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes the parents um just they're not comfortable. They don't want to do wrong. So they just leave it with us. <laughs> I'm like, part of the reason I made this video. Um, I want parents to say, Yeah, I could do this. Mm-hmm. I get up the Tinker Toys. We could talk about a movie we're watching, and we could totally do this. Mm-hmm. And what is your website for, for so actually? it's the
1: thespeechumbrella.com. Okay, that's easy to remember. Thespeechumbrella.com. Great. Mm-hmm. And I have several videos there about these things I do so. Wonderful. Wonderful. And what we know from the research is parents actually learn better from video than they do from directly modeling it. So videos are a highly effective way to show parents these strategies. Thank you so much for that excellent strategy. And and now that we and what I another thing that I, I liked about this storytelling is that. If I'm working on language, I'm not gonna work on the small stuff. I'm not gonna work on the grammatical morphemes because the research shows if you're working on what Denise is working on, which are complex sentences, passive sentences, sentences with clauses, what's gonna happen? is it's going to naturally and spontaneously develop. Those grammatical morphemes are those brown 13 grammatical morphemes. They will not only develop, they'll develop more quickly than if you're working on grammatical morphemes. So aim higher, higher gains. The higher you aim, the higher the gains. So this is a brilliant strategy, a brilliant use of therapy time, working on all of the important stuff. And I like how you make it hands-on language and and using uh toys and linking blocks and using the linkers uh whatever the toys is the linkers is the conjunctions
2: that is and cool. here's a funny story so yeah. i was doing this with um i think he's in sixth grade it wasn't sixth grade and he started to i wanted him to make a sentence about something that happened to him and he started to say although i turned my homework in and i could tell he was going to say i didn't get it back or whatever and they went That was in the wrong binder Mm -hmm. all of a sudden he realized he hadn't actually turned his homework in which which shows you the power of language has to affect how we function in everyday life right he he hadn't thought it through and he if he had been making the sentence he'd be like oh why didn't I get my homework back I turned in why didn't I get it back he created a sentence and all of a sudden you realize well he didn't turn it in
1: wow and that is a good example even higher than what we just discussed about how it (laughs) improves executive function yeah So that language is a container of thought and words are powerful. And him saying that made him think about when I do this, this happens in visual frontal lobe thinking. So this is like, really meaty stuff. This is the life-changing stuff that we wanna focus on to change life. So the children are, are making better decisions. And they're also, as, as she said and just now, is that they're in control of their narratives. They have the link in blocks. They're forming the sentences. They are the teacher, not the speech language pathologist, who's giving that, who's in charge and telling them whether they're wrong and right and in and, and control over whether they're a success or a failure this is, these are just such, I hope that you're copying these down in your Google Docs, these great ideas, because it's just going to make your therapy richer and richer and richer. I know it's going to make mine richer. So we're going to go to the next area, which is so important. And this is what I get right into. when, I, If I want to improve language comprehension, if I want to improve language expression, the research says go storytelling, go narrative Go big. So this is kind of what makes my mouth water because this is my go-to for creating great change, telling stories. So what do you have for us, Denise Frenton? What do you have for us to do in therapy, metacognitive skills that we can do to improve storytelling?
2: I love (laughs) storytelling. Use it all the time. So I have several clients on my caseload who had severe speech disorders, or were practicing, but I've worked through that. And so then I was getting them into telling the stories and their language was so, so poor that it was even hard for them to um, say the character's name and say what they were doing. They would get one part or they would get other, the other part. So again, it's just a post-it note. Um, so I wrote who and what on a little sticky note, one for them, one for me. and. We tell the story back and forth, very, very simple stories. And if I miss a who or a what, which I might on purpose, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're marking me down. I'm like, oh, did I say who? Did I say the character's name or he or she? You know, and I don't get a mark if I didn't, that I say what they were doing. So, you know, just something like um, Tony went to the store. Those, those sentences were hard for them. Um, yeah. Maybe not when they're conversing with someone, but the academic uh, additional load when you have when you're telling a story, you know, that's academic language and it's just harder for them. And so the, the five story parts, we do that. We just take lots of turns and just them marking who and what, me marking it for them and them marking it for me made a huge difference. And But the other thing that made a huge difference is I realized I needed stories with a consistent character mm-hmm. because the cognitive load of trying to remember a character name because these kids have poor phonological awareness. Yeah. Just think where they've come from. Yeah, their phonological awareness is just bad. And we also work on that too. So I I drew some stories. I'm not a great artist, but with the same character. And yeah. so once they've been through two or three, they I have some Tony stories on my website in my free resource library, actually. It was like, oh, Tony. Then they don't have to think about saying Tony, right? Yeah. They know this is a Tony story. Mm. And then they can go on and keep on telling this story without them stopping them in their tracks and so it's a it, it's great I mean I have like 30 stories now and I can just like oh and by the way so you know 30 stories and some of my kids I've been doing this long enough that we've been through them all but then I can bring them back again because then now they can put more complexity and so it's okay yeah. Um, yeah this is like a little here's Here's a Tony in his, oh, you probably can't see it, but Tony's truck catches on fire and he's scared and he has to call the fire department and they come and put out the fire. And (laughs) really, really simple. And so some of those kids have now progressed to the point, when did I start this, last fall or something? Um, Mm -hmm. So now they're telling a complete story. They're not missing anything. The sentences are complete. I mean, maybe not all the grammatical morphemes are there, but it's a complete sentence. It tells me who, it tells me what. And some of them have prepositions built in. Yeah. Story because they're starting. After I get the who and the what, I'm trying to get a preposition. Um, and so now they're telling a complete story. Everything's there that needs to be there. And I'm like, okay, now we're at the point where we start with stories with a lot of our kids. Because mm-hmm. a lot of our kids can start yes. with a complete sentence, but without any complexity, without any conjunctions, um, and just not putting very much in. These kids needed a, a more basic starting point. Um, and, and I've seen their conversation just explode. Yeah. So. You know, and that's the thing is that the problem one of
1: the problems we do in our field is that we have lots of different examples. Like we're working on esplends, and here's 20 different Esplan words. And the research says one esplin word is better than 20 yeah. different. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in the same idea, even though we don't have the research yet. The key Things the same in the beginning so that the child can focus and you know focus master it mm-hmm. master the process is so we can it, have
2: success, success the same yeah and and you're not prompting them all the time so that they, they they can retrieve it from their own mind which is what helps the most yeah and the, yeah it's like it's it's like if you're a music teacher you're not going to
1: say i want you to learn 10 different songs Because they're going to do 10 different songs very poorly with poor form and they're going to be just getting through it. And they're, they're not going to know it or master it. And they're, they're not teaching themselves. you want them to do one song, master it,
2: own it. And and, yeah. (laughs) I have Uh taken voice lessons. And when I did, I realized because of my, my background, I realized if I could master one song, the, the enunciation, the phrasing, the breath control, the, the jaw control, you got to get your jaw open to sing. Um, I realized that if I could really, really nail one song, that would take me much farther than trying to skip around because that one's not working for me. I don't like that. One. I don't like that one, which I wanted to do at first because it was hard, right? A song was hard. I wanted to, to switch, but then I realized, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is, this is what you need to do is just choose one and stick with it and master everything about that song, and you will have learned so much. So it's the same with, with these kids.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and we, want, mm-hmm. we want vocabulary variety, too, but you yeah. got to find the balance. If, if they're barely able to make a sentence, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Or if they're simply, if you're, if you're doing the talking, and they're simply imitating you, or it's totally, they're in the passenger seat. You put them in the driver's seat uh, by keeping it the same and saying, this is your story. You're the teacher. And I, I just love it. This is this is great advice. It's nice when you, you think about what works in one area of your therapy and you're like, let's do research on this. And maybe in language, we would benefit more. I know I like to keep the conjunctions the same in telling the story. Mm-hmm. Because and, and, and they've got the conjunctions and then they just kind of struggle and with the word retrieval to is things change, but the conjunctions always remain the same. So I I, I see and this is interesting keeping the character the same is something else that's probably a great benefit. That's great advice. So we're getting to the big executive function. This is a complex. Skill That many of our kids struggle with. And I'm seeing more and more kids struggle with this every year. And the research, some research is indicating it's because of the digital, uh, the digital learning, because the digital learning does the reasoning for you if that makes any sense. So mm, if yes. they say, yeah, you know you know what I mean. So if it's yeah, a, I a little video and they say, pick the big flower and then they, they touch it. This is the bigger flower. It's larger than the smaller flower. And they do all of the reasoning for the children and they work with the children on a cause effect nature. These video games do. They teach mm-hmm. cause effect thinking. And then they're going to give you the rationale and the higher level reasoning for you. So this is something that uh, is so important. What are some metacognitive skills that can help our children?
2: Well, this one I chose to talk about today. Um, I do use mostly with kids with autism. I absolutely love it. I call it the conversation game and I have a whole podcast on it, but um, it's, it has a lot to do with memory and attention, metacognitive. and. The first time I had an autism group, um, I had taken Michelle Garcia Winner's um, the training and I was like, yeah, I can do this. I can do autism group. I've got her curriculum here. So there's a time we gather together. We say hello. We kind of greet each other. And it was like hell on wheels. I mean, I had kids everywhere. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't get my group together at the beginning, mm-hmm. all focused on sitting together and starting the group. Um, And I realized when one child who I, I saw him individually too. So I saw him twice a week, once individually, once with the group. And he would always ask me, he was always early. So I'd come and stand in the waiting room, kind of chat with him. And he would say, what day is it today? Mm -hmm. And, and who else is here today? I mean, he, he could not remember the day. He could not remember who was there, even though he knew the kids' names, saw them every weekend. I thought, oh, he's got no episodic memory. I didn't know that's what it was called at the time. Now I know that's what they call it, the biographical episodic memory. Um, And I was trying to have these kids gather together a little bit at the beginning and just talk to each other. And if you have no episodic memory, um, it's really hard to do chit chat. Mm -hmm. So um, again, (laughs) I gave them all a post-it note and a pencil and I said, okay, I want you to draw something you did. Something you did today, something you did yesterday, really, really recent. And then we're going to talk about it. So, oh, it's like magic. So, so much better. So, they draw something they want to share. And then they hold it up, they share it with the group. And then I say, okay, we're taking these memories and we are putting them in our brains. And I actually have this plastic brain mold. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. You could use a a bowl or anything with a picture of a brain on it. I like we are putting these memories in our brain. I take their post-it notes. And by the way, I draw a picture too. Always model. And I review them. Oh, I remember Johnny went to the store. Sarah went to the movies with her family. um, Tommy played with his cousins, whatever. And I put those little pictures in the brain, physically in the brain. I say, you're putting these memories in your brain. And then we put that away and have the rest of our group and then at the end, where I do a snack time, when I have an autism group, you don't need to do it during snack time, but that's great. Um, <laughs> because as they're eating, what people do when they eat, they yeah. chit chat, right? As yeah. they're eating, I get my plastic brain back out again. I don't pull the papers out yet. <laughs> see if they can remember without a visual. Who remembers what Johnny told us? Who remembers what I did? Um, it is so fantastic. They start to remember it. Most of them won't remember the first time. I mean, this is a building process, right? Um, But as they start to remember, they're starting to make comments about what the other kids, because they're saying what the other person did, and they start to comment on it. It's amazing. I had one child who was so, um, I questioned whether he was even high enough, not intellectually, but just his... um, Ability to do whole body listening his attention Mm -hmm. to other people. I questioned whether he would work in the autism group, but I put him in there and I just remember the day, the first day he recalled something we were having our snack time and it wasn't even something in the brain, but another child said something about the apples being crunchy. And he looked up like he'd been shocked by lightning or something. And he went, he likes crunchy apples. Mm -hmm. He just, it just came out of his mouth and I mean, he he was a kid who did not notice a single thing about anyone else nice. before then. And and it started to help him remember. Uh, so they remember things about themselves first. That is wonderful. Sometimes sometimes they won't even remember. They won't remember anything to draw. They want to draw that they played a video game, and I don't allow that. Mm-hmm. I want you to draw something, you know. I'll talk to them about something they did and something else (laughs) and it's really hard to because that's just what they want to revert to
1: they want to revert
2: that oh I played a video game Uh, but anyway so they remember about themselves first and then they start to remember what other people have done and then they can start to be able to talk about it
1: wonderful I think that's such a great activity like I'm imagining it at the preschool level we have show and tell where everyone brings their favorite stuffed animal in throwing all of those stuffed animals into a ball and having it calling it the memory brain mm-hmm. you know, decorating it, it was so fun okay and then yeah that would be fun and I love yeah this is I, this is a brilliant idea and I love what you say about mealtime mealtime is so, such a special time the research indicates that during mealtime is when we're more, most likely to talk about events outside of the present so past events or future events which is exactly what you're doing at mealtime which is which is really it's such a rich a rich area and also during holidays when we talk about holidays we're more likely to use language referencing the past and the future so mealtime is such a great time to bring out the brain and and talk about uh, what yeah, happened so earlier in the day how creating fun creating
2: a mini a mini mealtime experience is what we're doing actually <laughs> I love it I I
1: know I am definitely gonna make a brain bowl when I get back to w- uh, work in the fall that is too cool we need to get a brain bowl. <laughs> And, and, to and what language do you use when you pull out the brain ball um, uh, to refer to remembering or memories? What, what words do you use?
2: Um, I do use the word memory a lot and I use the word brain. Um, so Michelle Garcia-Winner talks about how the kids um, need to have these things explained to them. The kids with autism in very basic terms that they have a brain and what happens in their brain and they have a heart and what happens in their heart. Mm-hmm. So, I'm using a lot of references to the brain. I point to my head all the time. Um, it's like, you know, and, and memory. Do you remember this? Did you put it in your brain? Um, wow. Yeah. Well, you've
1: given us so many great ideas to work with. Where can we get in touch with you for
2: more? So, you can email me at denise at the dot I'd love to get emails. Um, you know, some people comment on my podcasts. That's fine too. I always respond to those comments. So most of this stuff I've talked about today, I do have, I'll send you the links. Most of it, I do have something about it on my website, whether it's a video or whether it's a free resource or or something. Oh, I have a snack time activity um, thing too. So in addition to the um, remembering something, as we are having snack, one person is like the waiter or waitress. Everyone has a menu board and I've got all the materials you can build that. lots of common pictures of food so everyone has a menu with the same things on it just like when you go to a restaurant and the person who is the waiter or waitress has a grid with everyone's picture on it and they have to ask them what they want and then they take that picture which is velcro, they take it off of their menu put it on their like their pad you know what the waiter waitress uses (laughs) they put it on their pad so they know what everyone wants and then they serve them and then we take turns doing that so before we do the memories we do snack time that way and I think that's I don't know whether that's metacognitive, but it's a great social thing to do. So I'm not the SLP just passing out the mm-hmm. snacks, the yeah. other, they have to practice asking other people what they want, um, you know, cause it's interesting sometimes with autism, they'll assume that that child wants what they want. Mm-hmm. And they're just, they're just gonna give them what in their mind, what they think they want because of what that child wants. And no, that's not the case. <laughs>
1: That's great. That's
2: great theory of
1: mind. Yeah, building skill as well. So that's another great activity that she just gave us was that you you have a telly board and then you take the student's picture and you put them under which the snack they prefer, the, the, the all done by the students. I think that's so wonderful. These are such great ideas. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna take all of these metacognitive skills that improve speech and language and literacy and executive function and that change lives. And we're gonna roll up our sleeves and we're gonna change the world and make it a better place, one person at a time.